Hi everyone, Jay here. Um, just wanted to pop in with a quick note um, and a quick apology on this episode. We had some technical difficulties and had to switch over to Zoom and use a variety of different microphones and earbuds and whatever. Um, so this episode will be a little bit less professional on the production scale, um, but I assure you, just as unprofessional on the uh, on the discussion scale. So uh, thanks again for listening, uh, and thanks again for. Uh, <laughs> for your patience on putting out these episodes, I'll try to put out uh, put out more uh, with more frequency moving forward. But uh, here's American Psycho. Hello. Hey, man, what's going on? Hey, Jay, what's up, man? You ready to talk movies? I'm ready to talk movies. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fear and There, your favorite remotely recorded uh, horror movie podcast. Uh, we are back again with another special friends and family edition, um, and I'm really excited to have some of my uh, some of my dear friends from from growing up who have been making faces at me the entire time I've been doing this intro. They're wonderfully supportive, and it's really helpful. Um, but first, as you know, my name is Jay, and I'm calling in from the great state of Rhode Island. Uh, I nailed that intro despite despite like an like an anchor man thing. You remember the part where they're like throwing the football and whatever? Yeah. Despite that happening, I did a perfect intro and I'm keeping it. Um all right, let's try this. Matt, Matt, why don't you say hi? Hey Jay, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Matt Smith. Uh I've been uh, Jay's a longtime friend since I think 2003. Grew up in Merrimack. Mm-hmm. Lived in Boston for a number of years, and uh, now I call Burlington, Vermont home. So uh, thanks for having me, Jay. You're welcome. And that was a, like a severe turn from what was just happening. Um, way more detailed than guests normally give on this show. Um, so there you go. That's very fitting of your personality. Mike, are you ready to say hello? I think I've got myself composed. Everything was, we're just very business professional. Uh, so yeah, probably known Jay just almost nearly as long. I forget when we met. I want to say... Seventh grade workshop with Mr. Geary. Does that sound right? I'm pretty sure you made that reference last time you were on. That's the only way Uh, I know that we met each other. It's the workshop. Eagle eagle eared listeners will remember Mike and Matt (laughs) from uh, from our uh, Jeepers Creepers episode, um, which is a real point of contention from the third guest who's here. um, Because... Because my other dear friend Dan was was the 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 last uh, piece of that original middle school to freshman year puzzle, and we just decided not to invite him last time because Dan is a little bit flaky on his cell phone sometimes. So I didn't trust that he'd respond in time, and you know I figured I'd get an episode in, and Dan was real mad about it. So Dan, what would you like to say to the audience here? Uh, Dan here, uh, first time, long time, uh, just really excited to be here. I love movies and I love my friends, you know, despite, you know, not being invited to everything. It's really great. Just to be, I'm just really happy to be here. So thanks for having me on, you know, I begged for it and I got it. Uh, well, just, just to keep posterity, uh, Dan's calling in from uh, sunny Los Angeles, California. And uh, Mike is, is calling in from um Burling, Burlington, Vermont, always in my head. Um, even though Matt Smith is, but like, Mike there, he went to college in Burlington, and so that's where I'm putting you because you didn't say where you're calling in from. Oh yeah, because yeah, you 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 took over. And so, you know, that's fine. You know, we just 
button me in. It's fine. Yeah. Well, this has been the worst introduction <laughs> of the entire podcast, but um so happy to have you guys here. I think this is going to be a really, really good episode and also a really bad episode. So if you're looking for uh, buttoned up takes from me and Zach, my other co-host, who's usually on, um, you're not going to get that this time. This is going to be a little off the wall. Um, we are talking about 2000s American Psycho, the uh, what I would call sort of the 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 seminal shift to 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 at least in my head to to really graphic horror for me. This was one of the one of the first movies that I watched when I was uh, probably far too young to see it, and not just because of gore, but there's a lot of, a lot of advanced themes in this movie, um, and it and it awoke something inside of me. Uh, that was really interested in, in, in horror after that. Um, you know, however you, one would say a, a hunger, one would say, yeah. Um, and it really pushed me to, uh, to, to want to read the book, uh, by Brad Easton Ellis. It's a horror, horror classic in literature. And it is, uh, it's, it's really, it's a quite a bit more graphic than the movie. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about a couple of those moments here. Um, but it was something that like really like latched onto me in high school. And I think I was really, um, Really, really more obsessed with this movie than I should. Um, and so for this context, uh, for this context section, I really, uh, I wanted to talk to the guys about, uh, what your context was for this movie. I'm pretty sure all three of you had the context of, I liked it. You don't know why, but you loved quoting it, but I'd love to hear, you know, what's your history with this movie? Like what, what, uh, what drew you to watch it for the first time? What is what? What do you think of when I suggested this for the podcast, uh, Matt? Why don't you go first? You seem the most sane. Yeah, I think w- what'll be interesting about our perspectives is, is that they're probably all pretty similar. And that Jay, I think you were the one to inspire us to watch this for the first time. But um, what I'll say is, is that this was one of the first films that I saw that was really from more of the psycho thriller perspective. Mm-hmm. This was not a uh, this is not a, a thrasher, uh, you know, where uh, or a slasher film, I should say, where it's it's a, you know, you have this creepy guy that's trying to kill everyone in his sight, and uh, you know, you kind of know what to expect. Um, this was was more of a, uh, you have a, a deeply disturbed guy who is a bit of a sociopath that um, uh, has a has a mental issue that doesn't know how to deal with it, and 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 watching him try to you know exist socially is painfully awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the more you watch it, it verges uh, almost on this kind of it, it kind of walks this line of a a psycho thriller and dark comedy, uh, which is really I think what really stood out for 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 me uh, when it comes to American mm-hmm. Psycho. So, um, uh, yeah, I think I have you to thank Jay for for seeing this <laughs> film for the first time. Um, but it, it re- really is uh, uh, definitely high on the list in terms of kind of all time uh, classic thriller films for me. Yeah. What about you, Mike? A lot of similarity to what Matt just said. Definitely, you were the one that kind of brought it to the group. And I'm forgetting exactly where, when, or how it got introduced to you. So maybe you'll get into that yourself. But um, yeah, as I'm thinking about it, I think more of that day, if we were watching horror, it was things like, you know, our previous episode on Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers. Um, before that, it was probably like just standard like monster movies for myself or things like really big mm-hmm. classics like The Exorcist. So different, a very different style. Um but I do think as much as it maybe didn't click with me or like I like the movie and I did re- like rewatching it, but it was uh, more for me of a pop culture joke. Like there's so many quotable lines yeah. in this movie that I know we'll get into, but um, 
that's what kind of stood out for me of the experience. But I do think it kind of planted the seeds for um, me getting really hooked on shows later like Dexter. Now, admittedly, that's a whole conversation how it did not stick the landing but mm. that was a good show for a while and i do think that there's a fair bit of similarity at least in the scope of like what it's focusing on like the serial killer sort of development that matt was just getting into so i feel like it planted some seeds but definitely was just like the standout movie for such unique and interesting quotes and moments yeah yeah i mean i think we we should get into that sort of the sort of like quotability of this movie after the fact it was almost like an anchor man of horror movies there was just something about it that like was really fun to say these lines. Um, I, I love the Dexter compa- comparison. I have no idea why I've never made it in my head before, but it is, I think Dexter does owe a lot to this, the, at least the construction of this movie. There's a lot of sort of like internal dialogue, a lot of voiceover, a lot of stuff that's very, um, very insular about both of them. Obviously this is qu- quite a bit more fucked up in uh, in a variety of ways, but um, particularly like the sexual violence a- aspects of it. But um, yeah, it's a good, that's a good call. And I, I think Mike, I think you showed me Dexter for the first time. You were really hooked on season one and you made me watch it. And um didn't realize I actually did that. I definitely yeah, remember being a champion of that show. Uh, not sure. Mm-hmm. Where, I don't even remember how it got on my radar because i wasn't as big into like true crime serial killers that sort of thing but it just that's a good show so I'm yeah, nice. I'm glad yeah I got that's a good comparison um <laughs> um so so dan uh, d- despite the fact that you're you've you've had to be silent for the beginning of this i was gonna see how long i could go without letting you talk um but uh but dan what what do you what did you think of this movie what, what is your context for this film well jay i really appreciate you asking me that um i Actually, this is not so much a horror film for me, but I would agree with Mike. This is more of a dark comedy. You, it's yeah. built as a horror. It's built as a thriller, but it's not a horror in the sense that you are in fear for anybody going through it. It's more of a dark comedy because a of the comedic timing of Christian Bale, which is incredible, and it's also not a thriller as much it is just a psychological drama. In a thriller, I think something like Eyes Wide Shut, where you're anticipating an end, you don't know what's going to happen, and you're holding your breath until the yeah. end. That is not this film. You, you're not waiting for a crescendo or you know a spin at the end that you don't, or a twist that you don't foresee. You're rooting. You're actually rooting for Patrick Bateman the entire time. He, he creates a psychopathic killer character, but you kind of, in my opinion, have like a fondness for him, which mm. I, I, so I can't really place this in the thriller category because I, I don't see a twist at the end. I'm not waiting in suspense. Therefore it's not a suspense either, but I also don't see it as a horror because frankly, you know, a lot of the worst things that happen happen off screen. And I'm sure we can get yeah. to that in a minute. And so it, this is like in its own unique little space of psycho psychodrama, but yeah, to, to, Matt and Mike's point, I got to credit you with, you know, showing this to me some 15, 16 years ago, and then subsequently to every girlfriend you had until you were 18 years old. And, and how I think I remember back then, you know, that really set the mood for what we were going for, which was great. Yeah, we, we were really warm. It, it really sets a warm mood. Um, so I, I love that you texted the group just now that I you think you, you think that I just admitted that I'm a serial killer, but you just said there you have a fondness for Patrick Bateman. So I don't know which one of us is actually the serial killer. You know, I think it brings out the serial killer in all of us. 
Yeah. Well, I did say it awakened something inside of me, which, which is, which is, I believe Dexter calls it his dark passenger. So <laughs> this is, you know, I want it on record. This is not me admitting to that, but you know, you never know. Um, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. I'm going to, I'm going to murder someone. No, I, I don't It just seems like it's a lot of work. Be me. It's a lot of work. It's like a lot also, of if work. it's wrong to like such great pop hits, then I don't want to be right. So he's got a lot yeah. going for him. Right. Whitney Houston had four hit singles on her debut album. <laughs> People forget that. Um, yeah, I think that's a good point, Dan. I'd I push back on the twist thing. I think you've just seen this movie too many times. And so, like, like I, it's hard for me to even remember the first time I watched this movie uh, because it was so long ago. Um, there is uh, some people that I've sh- that have seen this movie for the first time uh, that I've watched it with have had this moment sort of throughout the movie where they're like, oh, is he going to get caught? Oh, this detective knows he, he's just baiting him along and whatever. Um, so there are those moments of like, is he going to get caught suspense kind of throughout the movie? Um, and there is obviously a version of a twist at the end. I, I think I know what you mean by there not being a twist that you're anticipating, Dan, because it's not how the movie is constructed. But um yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit about the ending, um, and we won't do that now because uh, we're not in the spoiler section yet. But um, yeah, I think this is this is good context. Um, you guys all rewatched it last night, right? Or within the past couple of days, or whatever. Um, yeah, I rewatched what, it last night. Yeah, what? So, <clears throat> so the other thing we like to do with context is uh, usually with horror movies, it's best to give them the the best chance of scaring you. And what I usually think that means is dark room, like treat it, treat it like a horror movie and try to get, so that's not really the point of this movie. I don't think so. I'm curious, like, did you guys all watch it like on a, like a a tablet at work? Like what, what did you like? Like what, how did you guys watch this movie? I'm just sort of curious. Any day, daycare, like nine o'clock in the morning, like during snack time, I threw it on for my class. Excuse me? That's that's not true. No, I watched it in the dark <laughs> on a 42-inch TV okay. under the covers with some uh, ziti, with ziti. I had baked ziti on my Ooh. chest. I was eating the baked ziti watching the movie. Yeah. For, with for my a second Anthony when you Jordan said, next to me. For a second when you, what, did she watch it? She watched it, yes. Had she seen it before? Yes, probably about 10 years ago. Okay, cool. Um I, for a second there, I thought like I was like, wait, Dan, didn't you move out to California to 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 work for like a nonprofit or something? And and yes, I, I, I am not a daycare teacher. Okay, I just thought for a second like, wait, did because you did daycare. work you did work at a school for a while or something, right? I did, yeah, yeah. Quick, that okay. was a throwback. Uh, yes, did work for a school about okay. fifteen years ago. Um, well, great, that was a throwback, but I hope you did not play this for your kids. Um, I have a cat in my lap now. You guys are all laughing at this, I'm sure. Um, a black cat. Yes, black cat. Uh, it's Halloween, of course. Um, we dye him. We dye him a different color depending on the holiday. Um, okay, uh, Matt, ha- did you watch it? Like, what did you do? Like a laptop, your TV? What did you watch it on? So we we gave this due diligence. We, we watched it uh, on a TV uh, during dinner uh, last night, and um, uh, our household we we love this movie. Honestly, it's it is a mm. a true classic, um, and we remember yeah. it as such. And honestly, it's still I think it still holds a lot of weight. And I think that has to do with a, um, obviously the performance of Christian Bale. Um, this was, I mean, 
I don't know if there's any argument, but this was Apps, a breakout for bail. Yeah. I mean, this was probably his breakout role. Um, I think there's actually stories about how he, he was actually on the verge of homelessness um, before he got this Ooh. role or as he was, he was filming this role. So, I mean, he, this was truly a breakout role for him. Um, you got, you know, early Reese Witherspoon, William Defoe, uh, Jared Leto. I mean, this, this was actually a pretty stacked movie uh, when you think about uh, cast-wise, um, and how it was delivered uh, was is still pretty powerful, even though yeah. it's it's going on 22 years of age now. Um, but uh, no, I, no, this is still this still holds up as a as an awesome film. And uh, I had it was actually it was a joy to rewatch because I have not watched it from start to finish in quite some time. Hmm. How about you, Mike? What got what got me is oh. like often like nowadays. I don't mean to cut ahead here, but nowadays, like I, now that we do miniseries and we're so used to the miniseries, mm. like kind of story development where you have oftentimes like 10 to 15 hours of like actual TV scenes to tell a story. I find that movies feel short and they feel rushed and lacking. This was not one of those. I watched this and I was like, no, in an hour and you know, 50 minutes they told the compelling story and again going back to what was off screen what was off screen like what you can play in your mind that you don't see on screen just propels the storyline so much faster than what the what is mm. contained in that hour and 50-ish minutes mm. yeah mike what was your impression on this rewatch I'll make a, I'll just piggyback off of that for a quick moment that we can get into it further, but almost maybe that kind of gets into both. This is different literature as it is in movies, but that saying of show, don't tell, maybe that kind of came in here to tell a fuller story, but <clears throat> yeah. similar to the, the guys, I gave it full treatment. Um, Sunday night uh, wrapped up the day with uh, watching with Ashley. She'd never seen it before. Um, I hadn't seen it probably since we watched it back in high school. So it'd been a long time. Um, but she's not huge into horror. She's like more of like the occasional horror, like horror comedy more so, like Shaun of the Dead, Cabin in the Woods, things of that nature. Um, she's cool with. Um, but I was like, you know what? This isn't really horror. And I couldn't remember a lot of scenes other than um, Huey Lewis in the news. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I could remember. And I was like, you know what? This is more comedy. If I'm remembering this right, it's kind of thriller, but you'll be fine because it's like, and then actually that's where I made the connection. It's like, you like Dexter. If you can get through Dexter, you can get through this. She's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had a, we had a good time giving it that sort of attention and um, to kind of the point of like, it is a classic, but it is not something that's going to make you, it's not even a serial killer thing. That's going to make you want to go around and check that all the doors are locked. Cause it, it analyzes mm-hmm. things in a different way. Um but it's also so not going to make you want to check under the bed like a monster flick sort of a thing. It just is a experience. Yeah, I think there's only one scene in this movie that's traditional horror, and we can we can talk about that after the section. But um, yeah, you, you, yeah, you guys are right. I, I think there's something something I realized about this movie. I, I actually spent a long time since I've reached for this movie just because I think I had like watched it too much, and I was like, whatever, I don't need to watch the movie. There's so much other stuff I want to watch, or like things I want to want to do, books I want to read, whatever. Um, but this, uh, <laughs> the, I don't know why. This is like a comfort watch. I like found myself last night like sinking into this in a way that was like 
what I assume people love about Hocus Pocus right now or whatever. <laughs> like there's just something about this movie that I like really, really, really loved um, and, and just enjoyed the experience of. And I think it's like what you're saying, Dan, some of the off screen stuff, but like, I actually think it was all the moments between the killing, all the moments of him performing human like was super fun to watch. And it like made me sort of like want to live in New York again, even though I haven't been away from New York for a while. Like there's just like a lot of things about it that I didn't really expect to have like warm feelings about. Just a quick um, little New York plug. Jay lived in New York for anyone who doesn't know that. Jay okay. used to be a New Yorker. Uh, he doesn't anymore, but he used to be a New Yorker. So people, story, people know story. that. People know that because I we started this podcast in New York, man. Come on. And when I say that. people, I mean all of our audience, which we've determined is lucky lucky if we get into the double digits. So Let's see, yeah, I haven't heard many episodes, so this was helpful because if Dan didn't tell me, I wouldn't have known that you lived in New York. <laughs> see, thank people you. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Mike, Mike, here. But you're Jay, I agree with your point that like it, like the movie is kind of like a warm, comfy blanket. Which it shouldn't fucking be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But you watch, like, you watch the movie, and from my opinion, like, it's a movie of this is going to sound so stupid, but it's a movie of scenes because it's like from one scene to the next, like almost if you look at it statically, the scenes, scene by scene, can feel disjointed, but they're all like either hilarious in like this really dark way, or it's propelling like this really dark plot. But like every scene, like I found myself watching, I'm like, oh man, I love that scene. And the next one I'd be like, oh my God, I love this scene too. And then the next one I'm like, yeah, right, I right, love right. this scene as well. Yeah, it, this is, you're touching on some points that I think would be great to talk about like more specifically. So let me, let's put a pin in that for a sec. Um, so it sounds like everyone would recommend, normally at this point we, we give a binary whether we'd recommend it or not. I think all of us recommend this movie just because it's sort of a classic in the genre. So, um, so we're going to move on to the spoiler section. If you somehow haven't seen uh, 2000s American Psycho yet, please pause this podcast and go watch it. Uh, otherwise, proceed and uh, listen to our take. So the spoiler wall is going up right about now. Uh, okay, cool. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what you just said, Dan. So the it's funny because it is a movie of scenes and the scenes almost have nothing to do with each other. It's odd. There's so, you, you get dropped into a scene and you're like, wait, where am I? I'm at a restaurant. Who are these people? Most of these people are calling him by a name that is not his name. That is not and like, yeah. And it's like, who's this girl? And she's his fiance, but he doesn't want to have a wedding and they're both having sex with somebody like it's very confusing. And then he's moving on and he's killing a homeless man. And so like, that's actually, there's a lot of choices in this movie that were made, I think directly to port things over from the book in, in the medium of film. So the book is, is very, very hard to read in, in some ways. Um, not just because it's horribly gory, and I'm sure we'll get into the the violence of this movie and the implied violence of this movie, but but because of the way it's written, some chapters are narrative. Some chapters are very much plot. Like I, you know, I went to this place and we hung out, and this is what happened. And there's lots of dialogue, and I killed this girl or whatever. Um, the then other chapters are literally just reviews of Whitney Houston's record like just a single paragraph reviews <laughs> of a Whitney Houston record and then the next and then the next um the next chapter is only two pages long and it's just there's no punctuation in it and like so there's just like there's this we this weird structure to the book that I think I it took me a few watches to sort of realize that the scenes kind of follow that um I guess I'm kind of curious um 
from Dan, you mentioned a lot of like the, the violence that happens off screen. Do you feel again, you may be numb to it because you've seen this movie a lot. Do you feel like there's anything in this movie that's like particularly advanced in the, on the gore scale? The, I think the worst part of the movie in terms of either goriness or if you want to say advanced themes, like, like something that's gory in adult. I think the worst part is when he, when the two prostitutes are in his bed and he says, I'm not done with you yet. And he opens the drawer of like tools mm-hmm. and he, the first thing he pulls out is a coat hanger. And he looks at him and says, Oh, I'm not like, I'm not done or I'm not through with you yet. And he holds We're the coat hanger. Yet. I'm not finished. We're not finished yet. And then it like, it cuts and it shows them like walking out, like bleeding and bruised. And that like, that's the worst part. And you don't see it. The coat hanger is not a particularly like graphic item, but I remember, you know, being a kid and seeing that and all the way through, you know, rewatching again now as an adult, you kind of start to rack your mind, like what happened? Like what could he have done mm. with that? And like, that to me is like the worst part, but it's not, again, what's on film. It's like where your mind goes like off screen. It just, that to me is just really incredible storytelling. Mm. It's that's interesting. So, um, you you don't find the Paul Allen axe murder scene to be violent, or is that is just because he's being so silly in that scene? Is it Huey Lewis in the news? Like what? Like honestly, that scene came on, and I was like, oh fuck yeah, I love this one. And it's like <laughs> not because like it's like not nice. Like he, he murders a guy in the head with an axe like multiple times. It's not nice. He wasn't being very nice. <laughs> but you're sitting there and you're like, Huey Lewis in the news is playing. He's like dancing. He's got the the coat on. He's like. You almost want to pause it and just be like, God, what an incredible scene. That's awesome. What, um, Mike, I'll go back to you. What, uh, what did you find to be like, can you, can you name some disturbing parts of this movie for you? Um, let me think here. Yeah. It's actually funny that as you guys were then reflecting on the, the ax kill to Jared Leto, <laughs> Um, with uh, Huey Lewis in the News, which honestly I know about Huey Lewis in the News and their albums mostly because of the scene. Um, mm. I feel like I got into his that that music because of American Psycho. But um, trying to like the overall violence, I mean, I'm definitely going to agree with like what Dan's talking about the storytelling, what's off camera. But I'm also wondering how desensitized we are just in terms of like violence being in American media because there is that final final ish scene of the prostitute coming back a second time. And she's trying to sneak away. And then all of a sudden she finds all these bodies. Now there's then this layer that we find later that there's not actually bodies in the apartment, but that is a moment of just like constant gore of like dismembered people, body parts, uh, just blood everywhere sort of a thing. And I, I think that's maybe extru- a little bit advanced for back in that day. But I think with where horror and thrillers are in terms of what they show these days, it's a little tame, honestly. Yeah, so you look at like the most recent Stranger Things uh, yeah, season, which is like some sci-fi horror, you know? Right, but it's rough. I mean, that I remember Julie didn't like didn't like this season in particular those moments, um, just because I I don't know that's a mainstream show, and, and so I I think people have people have sort of grown up a little in that regard. But that's the scene I'm talking about that I consider the most traditional horror. You get like really shaky cam about it. You get her running through this. Apartment, and then every door she opens, there's another jump scare and whatever. Um, and then obviously he's chasing her with a chainsaw, which is like a callback to 
classic Chainsaw Massacre series stuff. Um, Matt, what about you? What was the, what do you think the worst part was for you? I think, um, you know, yeah. In in terms of gore, of course, there were a number of scenes. You know, there's the there's the chainsaw scene. There's there's a there's a number of scenes where where Patrick Bateman really gets to kind of do what he loves to do. Um, for 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 me, this was more about. Uh, this was the first time that I really saw a sophisticated serial killer, in, in terms of in terms of cinema. Um, mm. you know, because you think about, you know, Texas Chainsaw and, you know, all of the kind of the classics, they're, they're kind of very outwardly serial killers and you kind of expect them to be serial killers. Um, it, this was the first time that you kind of saw this, this kind of, this multiple personality kind of, uh, mainstream, uh, serial killer in, in a Patrick Bateman and, and trying to kind of exist in society, but also be a serial killer. And yeah. this is the first time in terms of cinema that I really experienced that, um, I, I want to raise this because I feel like it's I feel like it's relevant in kind of what we're talking about and a little bit of research that I was doing in, in what Christian Bale did to prepare for this role. Um, apparently, in, in when he was looking at what he wanted to kind of structure around what what a Patrick Bateman would act like and, and speak like, um, he actually drew a little bit from Tom Cruise in his early days. Um, and I don't know mm, if you guys knew yeah. this. Um, but he he actually you know he he reviewed some of uh, some of some footage for, that he had in in on in talk shows uh, daytime nighttime talk shows and and how he was just kind of awkwardly happy uh, <laughs> at, at all times and 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 appeared to be just a, a very nice and outgoing person but was very awkward in nature um, and and was very uncomfortable and had very long pauses um, and I thought that was. I, I didn't know that uh, until I did the research uh, for the for this podcast, and I thought that was interesting, and I wanted to raise it to see if you guys had, had were aware of that. But it 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 totally makes sense now that uh, now that I know that. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading some of that. Um, I would love to see a version of this with with Tom Cruise from that era. I think it might be too on the nose. I think we might because you see a little craziness in Tom Cruise, even in like even in what I, I would you know what I'd say is some of his most celebrated performances like in a few good men for example there's something under the top surface too. that's <laughs> top gun too yeah um you see under the surface there's something not uh, not fully right there's something underneath him that's like a little wild and a little zany um and i, I it's interesting you say I, I i don't remember reading that i'm sure i had read it at some point but um that's pretty funny i think the, the reason I bring up the the sort of grotesquery, I kind of want to just get the gore thing out of the way. Um, the book, I don't know if I ever, I remember I like read that book to death. I, I, I used to like, I would earmark passages that I thought were funny. And then I would earmark passages that I thought were fucking disgusting. Um, and I remember because after you guys had seen this movie and we thought it was funny, we were recording it. I'm like, yeah, but the source material is really, really gross. It's like some of the worst stuff still in, in the terms, in terms of torture porn or whatever. Um, I want to ask Jay, if yeah. I can remember this right, because I never read the book and I do remember you reading me a passage and it was about, I think if I, I will make it very short to go back to the most disturbing part is not actually that gore scene. It's probably the homeless man, but then you yes. read me the, the scene of the homeless man and Much it was worse. way worse. Much worse. I believe there was a pocket knife looking out an eyeball and that yeah, is what yeah. is stuck in my brain. And I never read it. You were just reading it to me. Yeah. So there was it, that scene is one that I remember pretty vividly. Um, 
I won't get into it here, but it's it's a very quick scene in the movie. It's very sad. It's a very sad scene. He like turns on a dime and murders this guy and kills his dog, which is horrible. You never want to see dogs die in movies. Um, but in the book, it is like I Ellis like really relishes this passage in the book and and like and spends a lot of time with it. Um what's interesting, and I, I think I don't remember which one of you said show show not tell, uh, or to or or whatever it was. Um but but I, I think when you're adapting something like that, the ex, the extremity of the violence, you can either lean into it fully. There are a lot of movies, and we can talk about them if you want, that really do go fully into the gore category. I you know, I think of things like Saw. Um, saw, saw yeah, yeah, yeah. The torture born of the two thousands for sure. But then you got sure. like human human centipede, you got all these movies. And so you have to kind of go fully into it conceptually. Or you have to do what I think, Dan, what you liked about the movie and sort of leave that stuff out and show people the aftermath um, and sort of like the, let the, people the, figure the, out the what blood on the sheets at the dry cleaner that like that's another one where the woman in the blue dress that yeah. he sees at the crosswalk and then they he walks up to her. He says hello. She says hello. She looks away then looks back at him and then they proceed through the intersection now at the same pace. And then it for fast forwards to the dry cleaner. He's got the cigar yep. and there's cranberry juice, as he says, all over the sheets. It's, it's cran apple. Cran apple. And you're like, again, you're like, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's there. There is something very powerful about, about that scene, about him opening up with the coat hanger. Um, about like they don't even show what happens so the second time that that prostitute inexplicably goes back to his apartment um for more money i guess not inexplicably she wants money uh but he's under the sheets with that other woman doing something yeah. she screams and he comes out with blood all over his mouth and his face you don't know what he did you obviously he bit her or whatever but we don't see her ever again exactly and so there is something there that's left off the page. Um, the book leaves zero off the page. Like there are parts toward the end of that book that are even worse than the homeless scene person. Like a lot of like s- sexual violence, torture stuff um, in that book that are like obvious, like they're obvious stand-ins for the themes of the excess of the eighties and the excess of like rich people, how they can get away with anything. Um, we can, we can talk about some of that at the ending, I think. Um because I, I actually, on this rewatch, I have like new thoughts about the ending, weirdly. Um, and maybe it's just oh, because... I absolutely agree. Yeah. So so let's let's save that for the end of the podcast. Make it nice and, uh, nice and even there. Um, Matt, you were talking a little bit about actor stuff. So this movie is so interesting in, in its casting. Because I didn't realize how... Just how very many people were in this movie in a way like that sort of became really, really talented people in other stuff. Like I've seen Chloe Savigny, Savigny, whatever you say it, who is his assistant. She's been in a number of prestige TV shows recently. Obviously you have the Reese Witherspoon thing, which we could talk a little bit about that casting. Um, Justin Thoreau having having a moment there. And he, he's someone that I didn't even read. He plays such a snivelly guy in this in this movie and like he's actually like kind of a kind of like a heartthrob wasn't he married to like jennifer aniston or something um so i i'm curious like in watching it now 
and obviously Willem Dafoe, Jared Leto, Christian Bale. Like this cast is kind of stacked. In watching it now, did you feel like it was distracting? Did you like, I don't know, for, for me, it was like, I was watching actors in sort of a scenario in scenarios that I, that like I have seen them in more serious roles since. Um, but I'm just curious, like how did like the retrospective of, of this cast, like affect your viewing this time, whichever one of you wants to jump in first can do it. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I think I brought it up earlier, but I don't think I realized when I watched this back in, you know, 2000, whenever that was that we first watched this film, uh, that the cast was as stacked as it was. And that was largely to do with the fact that many of them weren't as famous as they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, to your point, when I, and, and when I rewatched this film, it, it, it was in some ways distracting because I said, wow, this, these, <laughs> these people ended up being quite famous and, and having some serious, uh, significant roles that, uh, yeah. even beyond American Psycho that, that, uh, that they, they ended up being in later on, uh, in their career. But yeah. it, it, um, it really it spoke to why this film was as good as it was. And it was because of the delivery and how good these people are. And, and so yeah. it's no, it's really no surprise, right. In terms of, you know, as to why these, these people, I mean, we, we had no idea how good, and I mean, it, obviously it's easy to put all the focus on Christian Bale, right. I mean, he's one of the best method actors that we've had probably in our lifetime. Um, but I mean, he is he is truly incredible as a Patrick Bateman um, and has gone on to do some really, truly incredible things. So it's it's it, again, it is really no surprise that this this film is as good as it is. And I think a lot of that has to do with the deliver uh, delivery of these characters uh, and, and the storyline overall. Yeah, it's funny is enough, Patrick but... Bateman's character is Patrick Bateman's character just the springboard for Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I without watched... minus the sadistic murder, like Bruce Wayne's character. I mean, he looks good in a suit, and and they're very both, they're calm, both, very cool. Collected. They're both very ripped. Well, you know? I know that's uh, it. Just I, I see the what you're talking about. I did watch um very briefly because you know the Google algorithm knows everything you're doing, so they did recommend an interview Christian Bale just did with like GQ or something, and I watched the first mm. like five ten minutes, but he was talking about his agent or someone like that being like, do you want to be remembered as American psycho? And he's like, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. And then when Batman came around, they're like, then you'll only be known as Batman and you won't get any of the further jobs. So he kind of just goes with his gut. It seems like when he finds something that he, he also was like, if I'm known for being Batman, that's great. I'll be Batman. Great. That's a paycheck. That sounds wonderful. Let's do it. Let's Mm. make it good. Um, And it seems like he just goes into everything being like, I don't care. I don't care if it's Marvel's next, uh, but he did Thor He's like, he's the bad guy and whatnot. So like, you he know, is, yeah. he just goes for anything and he's like, let's just make it good. I'll do the best I can. It's interesting. Like was, was the, were the character, were the, the players, the actors distracting two times. I'm sitting there. And I'm like, Holy shit. I forgot Reese, Reese Witherspoon was in this. And I'm like, Holy shit. I forgot that was Jared Leto. Like there yeah. was definitely a moment like, Oh wow. I can't believe that that's who that was. But then you're halfway through and you're like, I can't believe that this is Christian Bale. Yeah. And so like it was, it was definitely like an, Oh wow moment. But it was also to pick it off of that. It was just like, you just appreciate like what they do. Like what Christian Bale did, you, you believe he's Patrick Bateman. You believe he's a serial killer to convince me that he wasn't. I'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah. There were like moments in this movie where like, <clears throat> so like, 
obviously the the in your face moments from Christian Bale, like when he's on the phone at the end, when he's locked up in his office and he's like sweating and freaking out and crying and whatever. Like obviously that is a moment that like you would, you know, I, some of the podcasts I listen to talk a lot about like, what is the moment they would play on their like Oscars clip or whatever. Um, And like that kind of, that kind of moment is obviously like him turning it all the way up to 11. Um, But the moments that actually drew me this time were some of the subtler moments in the movie. And a couple of examples that, that I, that I remember. Um, So there's, there's the moment where, where Gene his assistant is in his apartment eating the uh eating the sorbet and he's gonna shoot shoot her with the nail with the nail gun which i think we should talk about pat's anecdote for we that should in a talk second. about that we, yeah. i think we can all agree we should talk about yeah that. yeah we'll, we'll get there just after i make this point um but he he said just sort of as a non-sequitur he's trying to have a conversation right he's spitting out things that he thinks like are leading to conversation right like what are your dreams what do you want to do you don't want to be an assistant forever like he's saying things that i think like a normal successful man would say to someone right and then so he's trying to have this conversation in the only way he knows how and so then he gets to a point where he feels comfortable and he he's like i'm going to do a non sequitur here and i'm going to say hey can you believe that ted bundy's dog was a collie named lassie and like to him that's a conversation point right because he's sort of fascinated by serial killers but he's also like it's sort of like a le- like there's levity there, and she turns to him and she's like, "Who's who's Ted Bundy?" And then his face just drops; it just turns around, and he's like, "Okay, I like I can't. This isn't something I can engage with anymore. Like I don't know how to perform in this conversation again." And it's like that moment, like that that literally, like there's there's like a second and a half of his face changing character and changing tone that I thought was like really impressive, and and I think. Um, those are the moments that really, really encapsulated his character to me. Um, there's a there's a couple of those, Jay, where there's this these kind of almost social breakdowns that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the obviously the obsession with the business cards. Right. And, he, yeah. and you know, he he, oh. he sees he sees Lewis's, uh, uh, you know, business card and he or Paul Allen's business card and he's beside himself. Uh, over that and and the, yeah. and the font and the and the you know and the cardstock that was used, um, there's a lot of those moments where I I really tuned into that as well, Jay. Where he's just, you know, a normal person would not even think twice about this kind of thing. But it, it you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and some of it's the writing too. There's that moment where they're like in this lobby of this like beautiful bar lounge area, and they're all talking. They're all like dudes having that quote unquote locker room talk, where they're all saying like, they're all saying like, I know, I know, no, there's no such thing as a woman with good personality. But really, what a good personality is is a woman just you know shut up, you know fulfill all your needs in bed, but don't be too slutty about it. And like all these things that are, are they're horrible to say about women, obviously. Um, and then when it comes to Patrick's turn, he's like, okay, cool. So we're ribbing, we're, we're being playful and we're saying inappropriate things. And so then he brings up fucking Ed Gein. He's Ed like, Gein. Yeah. <laughs> you know what Ed Gein thought about women? What their head <laughs> would look like on a stick. And so, and, and they're just like, what? And then, then this, then you just move on because it's like again, he does not know how to relate with these people. Um, yeah, I, I think and that's to your point. And to your real quick to your point, like to the point that I made earlier about him being like them making him this weird sociopathic serial killer, but also lovable. Like I watched that scene, I'm like, oh god, like the comments that the other guys are making in the bar. I'm like, God, that's so misogynistic and fucking awful. Like, good grief. 
And then he says the thing about Ed Gein. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, why? Like, how did you create a character where I'm like, oh yeah, you're funny, and I yeah. like this care this main character, but you're actually talking about like grotesquely murdering women. It's like, right. how do you do that? It's just very impressive. I, there is something. There is something. I like. I, I think this ties into the ending as well. Like these guys, they, there's a case to be made that these guys are no better than Patrick Bateman, and that's I think the whole point of this um, is that like there are socially acceptable things that happen in this movie. Um, that shouldn't be socially acceptable within the confines of this movie. Um, and that scene is actually a really good example of that. Like his version of that is to talk about Ed Gein. So it's like, I don't know. It, it, it is funny. And that comment did sort of break the ice. Um, I want to get back to the nail gun thing uh, before we let that slip. Um, so Let's just do little, that. A little story for the audience. Mike, do you remember what? Wait, wait, real quick, real quick. Can we just say one, like on, on the count of three, what is the biggest takeaway from the nail gun scene? What's the thing that everyone thought of? You mean the thing that's missing, right? One, two, three. Air, air compressor. 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 <laughs> air compressor. <laughs> I think we all agree there's no okay. air compressor so, attached to the nail gun. So a little background. Matt, Matt Smith here is, I would say, probably at least in high school was certainly the handiest of us. I think your dad fixed a lot of stuff around the house and would, would teach you things about tools and stuff that I, I don't think any of us were just shitting in kids playing, playing video games. Um, I just Growing like a dad. We grew, we grew up with very nice dads. Okay. Everyone. Um, but like for some reason, so Matt, 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 Matt you, this was always one of the things I, is one of the things I respect about you. You always kind of like knew how to do things that a dad would know how to do, you know? And like, and like, I don't know why that was, but so like, this is the approach you took to this, to this scene. I remember we were talking about it and this scene's actually tremendously tense. It's one of the moments of tension in this movie where you actually think he's going to shoot this girl with a nail gun in the back of the head. And it's horrifying and you're waiting and you don't want it to happen. And it, cause this girl is also kind of the smartest woman in the, in, in the movie, like the, the least superficial, um, and so you're kind of rooting for, the most real. Yeah, you're 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 rooting for it to not happen. And then Mike, Mike, why don't you share the anecdote that Matt Smith was like? You know that scene is totally unbelievable. And you nailed it right there. I'm pretty sure it's just like hey, we, pretty common for us to kind of do just comments um, as we're watching a film. And uh, I believe there was a moment where he just kind of not even looking at us, just goes. That, that won't even work. There's no compressor. There's where's a, where's a plugged into. There's like that's not going to go anywhere. What a stupid, what a stupid mm-hmm. oversight by the filmmakers of this. As we're talking, brilliant made film, or and he's just like ah, suspension of disbelief gone. I can get on with you know everything else I've seen so far, but you're not going to get an air compressor. Yeah, mur- murders, murders fine, gun. but but don't you don't you drag the physics of tools through the gutter, please. Um, I actually have. I, I was watching this. I was watching this and I have underlined and in exclamation points on my notepad, I say, where is the air compressor? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, was, do we think that he in that moment was like, cause you look, he, it zooms in like from his point of view and his finger is on the trigger and then it moves and it moves and it moves. Do we think that he was going to shoot or was he in that moment fantasizing about what if I, what if I just had an air compressor? What if I had the nail gun? And then what if I, and he's sitting there and he's just like, like chewing on his bottom lip, like, oh man, what if I just murdered her with this fucking 
Matt, nailed gun. Matt, what do you, Matt, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> uh, you know, I I must have been desperate to find a continuity error or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I am the one. I am the high school student that said, where is the air compressor on the nail gun of Patrick Bateman? Um, no, uh, you might be right about that, Dan. Maybe there is something there in that he he it was kind of an empty threat and that he didn't really, you know, air compressor aside, it's like holding a knife or a gun to somebody's head with never intending to actually do anything. Um, because I feel like he didn't really want to kill Gene, and that seemed to be the theme that runs throughout that scene. Exactly. Um, so you know, it's an interesting point. I don't like him letting you save face here. Um, I like to think that it was just like, like, look, this movie weirdly is is considered an indie movie. It had a difficult time, I think, sort of getting funding because because a big name wasn't attached to Patrick Bateman and nobody really wanted to take Patrick Bateman because the book is despicable. And like, it's, it's definitely one of those things that I, I definitely think that there were probably some logistical issues with filming. I, I feel like I read somewhere that filming got shut down at one point. They had to recast a couple of people. Um, so I chalk it up to them just being like this nail gun scene. There's, there's nail gun stuff in the book. Um, so I think they wanted to put the nail gun stuff into this scene and they were just like, nobody is going to be holding us to this. Um, I mean, obviously, fast forward, there are nail guns in that footprint now that work. Like, like it's not, you know what I mean? Like that nail That's gun. That's true. There are like, yes, there are cordless nail guns. Yes. You but, see in The Wire. There's a whole season about The Wire with nail guns that are built in air compressors. Yeah. Yep. But, unfortunately for Patrick, there was, the technology hadn't caught up yet. He wasn't there yet. I wonder, I wonder if it had, though, is my point. Like, I think, Matt, you saw that nail gun and were like, hey, that's the one my dad had one time. Like, I, I think you I think you like knew that that nail gun would not support a, a compressorless operation. But I wonder if there were cordless nail guns in the 80s. You know, maybe this reminds me of my father. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, but to that. So here moving just. Uh, we're just moving a slightly uh, adjacent when he opens up the closet he opens up the closet and pulls the nail gun out that's when you see you see the chainsaw and then you see like a hedge trimmer a pair of shear like garden shears the duct tape is in there and i remember like it wasn't until this past rewatch i've seen this movie a half dozen times and i'm like wait a minute you live in a manhattan high rise and it wasn't until that moment i was like wow that closet is super fucked up because there's a bunch of lawn equipment that I'm now realizing is just for murdering people. A hundred percent. I mean, every scene, like he's having this outward conversation with her and every time it cuts away to who he's looking at, he's doing something fucked up. He's like touching the tip of a knife. He's deciding which knife to do. He opens the fridge and there's two heads inside the fridge. Heads. Yeah. And, and so it's like, it's an interesting point, Dan, about him maybe never meaning to use the the nail gun or perhaps. And and look, I mean, like we're sort of at the point of the podcast, right? I think we can talk about the ending and talk about the resolution. Um, perhaps that ladders into the fact that this didn't happen or maybe it did. I don't know. So um, my original takeaway from this movie with this, the ending was that these murders didn't happen. Uh 
That was my original takeaway mm-hmm. when I first watched this movie. Uh, the book is a little. The book is also also leaves it up up in the air. It leaves a few more clues than the movie, but um, the book leaves it up in the air, open for interpretation, just like the movie does. Um, I'm curious. Do you got what do you guys? I, I'd love to hear each one of your takes on like the resolution and the ending. Like if you can make, and it doesn't need to be a plot resolution. If if it's just something we're supposed to be left ambiguous, that's fine too. But I'm curious. Like on this rewatch, do you? How do you? What do you think happens at the end of this movie? Do one of those ending explained articles for me. Blockbuster cancels Patrick Bateman's account for past due videotapes. <laughs> Period. That's the end of the movie. He never actually returned any videotapes. He's a no, he, his balance is in the thousands, and they just say you're cut off. Okay. Um, for the viewers, there. This is a joke because my screen name is is was returning videotapes. Um, and as still is, I think you're a serial killer. I think you admitted it, it here, and the facts really yeah. just. It still is for like a couple of random accounts I don't use anymore. I've, you know, since nobody has screen names anymore, really. Um, but uh, that was my name for, for, for a while because I, I find it to be the most outrageous line in this movie and it's repeated three times. So that's great. Um, Dan, that was a completely, that was a completely like disingenuous answer. So thank you, Mike. Uh, how about you? you? You're up. I can go a little bit more. Genuous? Uh, that's a word now. Um, more genuous. Super mm-hmm. genuous. Uh, more genuine. So now that uh, about the ending, actually, that might be the one thing in the film that I think I to some degree dislike. Um, yeah. I thought that necessarily they do it poorly, but um, as I look at the rest of the film, though, it does like paint those moments. Like I'll go back to the nail gun scene with, I forget that actress or like the character's name, but like the secretary in the off in his um, apartment rather where I think that is him fantasizing. And I think we can now then, as we get to the culmination, where we start to realize that this could be a lot of things that are just in his head, that we see that there have been some really mentally unhealthy fantasy uh, fantasies that he's been playing out in his head this whole time, uh, along with then the drawings that we find and everything. Um, the murders didn't actually happen in that apartment that he thought he was taking over. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I... It's not to say it doesn't stick the landing, but it can be very jarring. Like jarring, even in, yeah. in a movie like Inception, where that's another like thing where people argue like what happens at the end. That's one where I feel like I can follow the thread, even though it's a pretty crazy movie. This one like left me going like, wait, are you telling me there's like nothing that hints that it's gonna be hard to figure out what what's the final footing until all of a sudden just yeah. like by the way, this never happened. You're not that name that you say these killings never happened. Also, your secretary is going through your killed journal uh diary thing. It's it's very discombobulating. And so maybe that's what made me not resonate with it. But as I'm kind of reflecting on it and reflecting on how he does seem to lose grip with reality from that scene at the beginning of the film, where he's schmoozing everyone very masterfully, everyone from his fiance, his business associates, they're the people that they're dating, everyone that they're all like having sex with their uh, affairs with others. And he just does this high level thing of like, Oh yeah, we've got to solve hunger. And uh, political strife apartheid, and apartheid. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. all these things and it's so superficial but they're all eating it up and then to that future scene where he's like you know ed gein thought it would be hilarious to see a woman's head on a stick you just see him slipping from like this performance that he's yeah. playing on so i thought it was interesting not my favorite but i do think they as i'm reflecting on it they actually do execute it well it's just very jarring very jarring 
So, okay. So you, your, your takeaway is still that you, you think it's, it's at least a large portion of the things that are depicted in the film are like in his head or things he's fantasized about or whatever. I think so. That's not to say that we can like definitively say he never like killed a homeless man or things like that, but it does seem right. to give the implication right. that, Hey, this man is not just so psycho because of all the things you just saw. It, he's psycho because he thought these things were really happening and that he identified with a different name, but yeah. that's actually not true. So what do you think that, so you, what do you think the movie's comic? So, so here's the thing. When you, when you make a statement like that, the movie yeah, has just, to be ch- trying to say something, you know? So like, I, I'm curious, like, what does that ending mean to you? Like, what is the theme? What What is the lesson I, we're supposed to be learning from this? I think there might be, I think honestly, there's a whole lot of cultural critique of like eighties Reagan era, like superficial, like uh, yuppies and all that. I mean, he does have that scene of like kill the yuppies or die yuppies die. I forget what it says in blood, but um, I think it's a critique of just how disconnected they are from reality, how starved they are to feel something and that he doesn't really know how to connect with people. And so then he creates these dark fantasies of violence. Yeah. And I definitely am, uh, you know, a trained psychologist. I can make all these assessments. This is fair. I'm accredited. <laughs> Don't look it up. I have it on my second screen. The internet told me I have a license. Uh, it's right there. I see it right there. Yep. Off screen. Dan, is this your take on the end too? I No. In all seriousness, I, I take, I go the other way. I believe that this all happened. I believe he did it. And I am really deep into like the grand conspiracy here that like he did this there's the the cup like the scene when he goes back to paul allen's apartment and it's all like clean and nice and he goes into the closet and the bodies aren't there and the room is all yeah. cleaned up that said die up he's like my for the past 15 years i've always thought like oh no this is a grand cover-up people like the, the theme is you know, it's a period piece at that time, banking on wall street, cash was King and you could do no wrong. There were no repercussions, money ruled everything. So he's talking to the realtor and the realtor kind of gives him this like, like eerie kind of look and eerie statement of, you know, you better, you better leave and don't come back. And she kind of gives him a look. And I just, I believe that everything happened and it's this grand conspiracy just to protect the people who are wealthy. I also would note that there is a moment in the beginning of the movie when Elvin, Elle, Elle, Evelyn says, quote, like, doesn't your father like own the company anyway? And it's a one, yeah. it's a one-time throwaway line, but it never comes up again why Patrick has this job that he does. Every which he doesn't do. His, he doesn't do his which job. Which he doesn't do. And every time you see him in his office, he's doing a crossword puzzle. He's playing with hair. He's scribbling like murder fantasies, but he's never actually doing the job. And he talks about other people doing the job. He talks about Paul Allen gets, you know, the big account and he's talking about other people, whether they're jackasses, whether they're blowhards or whatever, but he's actually never doing the job. He's just booking lunches. And so the question like that I have is like, Oh, is there like something bigger here? And there's really nothing like, there's nothing more to suggest it than like your hope or not hope, but maybe your just belief that it's all real. But I just kind of like that better than the, Oh, this is just like you snap your fingers. And at the end, like you realize that this is a dream. The only thing I will say yeah. is the, the one 
kind of piece of the film that throws this into contention is uh, feed the feed the cat to the ATM. And when the ATM machine says like feed me the cat, like that is the only point where you're like, oh wait a minute, he's fucking out of his mind. Yeah. And then the, even there's a disconnect from reality of like, and you can see it on his face as he's getting into a shootout with cops where like three, five shots of what should have been oh, like, you know, was, like yeah. it's like, there's also like six or seven, six yeah. or 12 bullets in the gun, but he's firing at end. And then all of a sudden the, the cars blow up and it's, he's killed all the cops. It's like, he even sees like, this is a disconnect from reality. He looks at the How gun and he, looks at the gun and he's like, yeah. What? But then he, but then he, but then he looks at his watch and runs away. Like he's like, wait, what time is it? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love, I love that you both, you basically both just outlined the what I think are the two most popular takes on the movie. There's the obvious disconnect from reality of all happened in his head. He's losing his mind. He's striving for feeling whatever. Dan, your your take is the other the other side of it of of you know maybe grand cover up is extreme, but like the idea that he can get away with whatever the fuck he wants because he's rich. Um, and in the More, case, in the, in the case of this movie, well, Matt, before we dig into that, Matt, Matt, what, which one of these camps do you fall in? Cause it could be both por- por- que no, no los dos, you know? <laughs> now, uh, so actually to piggyback off of what Dan, you were saying, um, I picked up on the, in, in this rewatch that he's, I think, about 27 years old, or at least he's playing 27. 20- yes, they say and, that. And Reese Witherspoon's character on in the voicemail uh, that he uh, she leaves him uh, refers to him as the big shot CEO. So there is definitely some, right. some some interesting information as to how did you get into this role? What role are you actually in, and and why are you qualified to do it? So the, there's some that. some awesome. in, interesting information, and I hadn't even thought about it like that before, Dan. Um, and then uh, there's the whole thing where like everyone thinks someone someone else, and also right. it's got VP right. on their on their business card, and not, not and not only that, everybody thinks they had lunch with Paul Paul Allen Paul Allen in in London when they didn't because he's dead, unless <laughs> Christian Bale killed a different guy, you know who and, who fuck knows. Uh, Sorry, go go ahead, Matt. Go. No, it's okay. But to Matt's for the point, yeah, Matt, go on. Yeah, so I will say when I first watched this film many years ago, I was under the impression that this was in fact all uh, all a fantasy, um, and that and that and, yeah. you know, Patrick Baton didn't actually do any of the things that he thought that he did. Um, after rewatching this and doing a little bit of research to see kind of what other thought what others thought, I, I learned more about Dan's perspective and that that maybe uh, maybe this was just washed away because he, you know, he lived in a, you know, Paul Allen had a great apartment and they the realtor wanted to resell it and paint it as quickly and get rid of all the blood. Um, and and it I my takeaway and also reading some of the comments from the the director of the film um, is, is that I think there's some intentional ambiguity. And also I yeah. think it's kind of a hybrid of the two. I think that there is, is absolutely Patrick, Patrick Bateman was not a stable, a stable person and probably did a lot of bad things. Um, but maybe he didn't do everything that they depicted in the film. Um, so, so, uh, I, I guess I kind of live in the middle. I think that, I think he did a little bit of what, um, what we saw in American psycho, but I think all also some of it is probably exaggerated or all in, in fact, in his head. Yeah. So, so 
I think it's I obviously I think it's both. You, like we have to remember that this this movie is told from his perspective. Um there's lots of scenes with him doing voiceover, talking about his routine or whatever. This movie we have to assume is told from his perspective and therefore I mean he's like the definition of an unreliable narrator. So um like the the scenes that you're that you guys just brought up the stray cat and the the um the car blowing up from three shots with a pistol. Um those are things that maybe he's saying in his head, like I had a fantastic shoot up shootout and I blew up, blew up a car. And then I went up to my, you know, these are things that like are maybe his retelling his remembrance of those moments. Um, I think like the two things that I would say, so I actually, so I, I've done, I've given it a lot of thought over the years, obviously um, the book is very firmly about this sort of like, Reagan rich people thing. Um, it's very much about the excess of the eighties and, and about how, you know, wall street guys can do whatever they want. Money can, money can sort of like answer almost all of life's questions. And so there is no, um, sort of punishment or consequences for this sector of society. And that's really what the book is trying to say. That's like what most people agree is, is, is sort of the main theme of the book. The, um, the idea that Patrick, even after all these atrocities cannot, he's not going to be arrested. And so he's not going to like, he doesn't have any way out. He has to live in his pain, right? He has to live in this, like this world where he can't like be held accountable. Um, What's interesting, he even says that at the end when he's talking to the lawyer and he's like, he's now confessed twice, once over the voicemail. And now he's talking to the lawyer in person. He's like, it's me. It's Patrick. Like, and that's like the last line of the movie is like, you know, I am, I have transcended beyond any type of recourse for my actions. Yeah. Almost like indignant. Like he's almost upset by it. Yeah, I mean, there's a door behind him in that scene that said, "This is not an exit." So it's 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 pretty like like directly on the point of of what you're saying. Um, the I I think Matt, you had said uh, you had read some interviews with the director. The director is a woman. Her name is Mary Heron, and so and she she has stated that that she wanted to flip that narrative to be a little bit more about how men can do whatever they want and not be held accountable, particularly rich men. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of scenes in that, like we mentioned the Ed Gein scene, I think that's a really prime example of this, um, putting the other guy's commentary almost on the same level as the Ed Gein comment. Like the Ed Gein comment was sort of better than the other two things. Um, but one, what I, what I'll sort of like my two cents on this is I actually think I fall more in Dan's camp um, after this rewatch. I, I think it happened. Um, and the, the part that really, so like that, that woman at the end, the real, real estate agent, um, she, there, there's a case that could be made that she wasn't real and he made her up in his head, but she's acting real, real rough and real shifty for her to not have painted a murder apartment to sell it. And she knows he came back to it. And she's like, this is my apartment. Legally, I'm selling it. And I want this money. I don't care if you're the serial killer, get out. Like there's, there's like a read there for sure. Um, The two scenes in this movie on this rewatch that I caught that hit me different, that made me realize um, that I think this movie is really trying to say that rich men can do whatever the hell they want. And he actually does whatever the hell he wants throughout the movie. Um, one of you, I forget which one of you mentioned the scene where he runs into that woman at the crosswalk. Um, yep. He like catches up to her 
after going to the ATM and he stands next to her and stares at her in the middle of the, of, of the city, which in almost any circumstance, a woman would be running at that point. She'd be fucking like, away from me right? or like spray her in the face. But she looks over at him, like wondering who is this fucking guy? And then she sees he's a very, very beautiful mm-hmm. man, like really buttoned up stockbroker kind of guy. And she's like, Oh, all right, you're, I'll, I'll check you out. And then she, and then he fucking murders her. So that's like a very direct example of like, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Um, the other one, and I don't know if you guys noticed it or on any of the rewatches, but after he kills Paul Allen, he throws him into a bag and then he mm. takes the bag to the curb. And then that, that dickweed Lewis Carruthers, uh, comes over and he, all he asks is, where did you get that overnight bag? Which I've never seen an overnight bag that can fit a, a body, but whatever. Um, uh, he asked that, which is already a hint that there's no body in it. But I actually think there is a body in it. But if you look back into the lobby from that scene, it's a very short scene. When he's walking through the lobby, there's blood being streaked across the lobby floor. But when you look back into the lobby, the blood is gone. And so yeah. my initial read of that back in the day when watching it was obviously, okay, so there's no body in there. He didn't kill anyone upstairs, whatever. And I think that's a fair read. You can say that. I think, and that really landed me on my main point, which is like, if stuff did happen or didn't, maybe some of it was in his head. The feed me the stray cat was probably in his head. All of these sort of moments where he was sort of seeing a distorted view on reality. But I think some of it did happen. And because he's a rich guy in this society, people don't see it. People aren't seeing it. And so that's like when you make a mess in a rich person's lobby and that and the the fucking bellhop or the 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 doorman knows that you live there and you're a rich person, they clean up you after you. and you can yeah. do whatever the hell you want. And so it's like it's like I, I sort of see that maybe not as like this didn't happen, but maybe it's like this did happen, but nobody cares because he's rich and he lives in this building. Nobody cares. You're so rich. And I would take it one step further that either people A, you're so rich that you have immunity, or you're so rich you have immunity and everyone is so superficial that it actually doesn't matter. You know, there's the right. what are you into? Uh, oh, I do murders and executions. Oh, my friends are in murders and acquisitions. Or oh, I want to murder you and play around in your blood. Or like there are all these lines he says where he's like outwardly just saying, yes, I murder people and everyone is hearing him, but not listening. And there's this constant theme of like, you can do and say whatever the fuck you want because at the end of the day, it just matters whether you have bone and, you know, Times New Roman typeface. It doesn't actually matter what it says it's just what it looks like and he looks like an attractive new york you know stockbroker guy mm-hmm. it doesn't actually matter what he's saying what he's really saying and you know the business cards are just a perfect you know example of that yeah everything looks looks better on off-white in raised lettering that's for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um all right. Well, well, great guys. I think this is a, a good point to end. We'll, we'll move on to the rating section. If there's more thoughts you want to share, you can, you can say them in your little con- conclusions spiel. Um, so uh, Dan, this is new for you. This is semi new for the other two guys, but we rate all of our movies on two scales. It's mostly just a way to like keep some structure into the podcast. Um, the first scale we rate our movies on is uh, a, a scale of, of just how, 
scary how creepy the movie was um it's a really stupid metric uh but we're sticking with it because we started with it on the first episode uh we rate these movies from zero to five sheep um as in how many sheep you had to count to fall asleep um there's this uh there's this sort of theme i have with horror movies where movies that really stick with me right when your head pops down on that pillow you close your eyes and then the demon from the conjuring pops up in your brain. Uh, so that's sort of where that the scale kind of comes from. Um, with these movies that are a little bit more psychological or perhaps gory, um, you can treat the scale more on the gore scale or whatever. But um, how scary, how advanced was this horror movie to you guys? And uh, let's start with Mike. I feel like you've been last the past couple of times. Uh, for, if we're starting with the scary sheep scale. Mm-hmm. I'd even give it a one. It's not scary. It's a good. You're, movie. you're welcome to cut those sheep in half. There's something gory about that. Honestly, let's just go. It seems a little extreme to give it a zero when there are some. There's some gore. Yep. There is a lot of like implied violence. There's some explicit violence. Um, but I'm gonna say in terms of actually being like scary or things are gonna like keep you up at night. Yeah, that, that's a one. Like I said, I'm not going to lock my doors. If okay. anything, I'm gonna go check my 401k. Yep. <laughs> Will I ever be rich enough to murder someone with an axe without consequences? The movie gives you something to aspire to, I think. Here That's in America, for sure, of course, of course. Uh, Matt, what about you? Um, I'll I'll go a little bit higher. I, I'll I'll give this two sheep. Um, and yeah, it, it it certainly doesn't not keep me up at night. I'd say the quality of the gore of the gore scenes that happen are great. Um, but they're, they're not, they're not, yeah, I'm not checking my doors at the end of the evening. Yeah. Gotcha. Dan. I am on the same page. This movie, I, I stayed awake after the movie, not because I was like imagining, you know, Freddy Krueger or Leatherface and I couldn't fall asleep, but I was simply just like rethinking each scene and just being like, God, that's a fucking good scene. <laughs> but I like was, it was not. It's not a scary movie. I'm giving this like Mike. I'll even give it a half. I'll cut that sheep right in half. Mm-hmm. I'll give it a loin. One loin. What? Not even half. That's like a quarter sheep right there. Like a loin. Like yeah. Like a. Like there was a, there yeah, was a sheep a in the room, and Dan was like, "Hey, I'm not done with you yet." And he just slowly pulls out. Yeah, uh, sort of like, yeah. Did you cut that? Like, did you what? cut that? You're not. That we're not finished. Yet. I said to the sheep. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but you. But first, you, but first, you should, You took the shears out of Patrick Bateman's inexplicable tool closet and sheared the sheep. And then yes. used a hank. Got it. Cool. Great. Wonderful. The small, the really small ones. It, it took a long time, but we yeah. got there. You got there. Um, I think I'm about at a two for this. So, like, like I don't know. This obviously, there's there's modern examples of gore and scary stuff and whatever that are perhaps not um, that are perhaps worse than this. Um, I will say there's something like disturbingly pornographic about this movie. There are some like oh, and a lot of porn. Yeah, true. Was it the literal porn, Jay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but porn. I think but the it's like porn the, sec- the sex scene when he's orchestrating when he's t- when he's talking about um, Phil Collins and Genesis, and he's orchestrating these two prostitutes, and he's doing the like the sex in the mirrored room, and like that stuff's pretty advanced. So it's not really scary as much as it is like it's not it's not a movie that's for the faint of heart. You know, and so I, I envy the three of you for for getting your significant others to watch this because Julie was like, fuck, no, get away from me. Um, like, 
she did not she doesn't like horror movies at all and this is definitely not a movie that she would like it's just there's just stuff in it that's gross there's a lot of gross stuff there's a lot of implied grossness um and so i i I can't give it less than two just because i really do think it's a hard r it's a movie um you guys asked if I even remember when the first time I saw this movie was, and it was definitely me and Eric Schneider renting it from Blockbuster when we shouldn't have been renting it from Blockbuster, you know? Um, and so I just have like, it, it was sort of like, like formative at a time when I probably shouldn't have been seeing some of the things being depicted on screen. So, um, so yeah, it, I think it's a two for me just from that perspective. Um, the other scale that we rate on is just a, a general uh, quality scale from zero to five stars, or I guess sometimes we try to get uh, uh, we try to get a little more <laughs> a little more playful with it. So maybe from zero to five severed model heads, zero to five, oh. uh, or zero to five uh, half empty sorbet cups. I don't know. Whatever you guys want to rate it on. Zero to five Dorsia reservations. Oh, on nice. Friday that one's good. Seven to eight o'clock. That's good. Zero to five Dorsia reservations. I like that. Dan, why don't you start this one? Uh, I, it's got to be four and a half Dorsia reservations out of five. Wow. Just high I, quality. I, found, I, want, I turned it on and I told Jordan, my fiance, I was like, you know what? I, I'm watching American Psycho tonight. And she's like, oh, really? Why? And I was like, oh, we're doing a podcast on it. So, you know, got to do it for the pod. And she's like, oh, that's really cool that you're on the podcast. I'm really glad that Jay invited you. And I was like, no, I know. I'm really glad too. And I didn't get invited last time, but I'm really excited that he was. So I just want to put some time into it. I had my notebook. We had dinner. And so anyway, so I turned it on um, and I was just immediately, I was just like, oh, that's right. I just love, I forgot. I just love this movie. It's just a good quality. Like, you know, you could watch the leprechaun. You could watch Killjoy. There's a bunch of scary movies out there that you could watch and just be like, God, this is really good, but it's awful. This is really yes. good, but it's great. Yep. So four and a half Dorsey is out of five. Nice. Uh, Matt. I'm the same, same rating 4.5 uh, wow. Dorsey, Dorsey reservations. Um, Wow. This this is truly a great film. Um, this is not a tacky film. Uh, I think with the last one we did was Jeepers Creepers. I mean, this is far and away um, much better than that film in terms of quality, in terms of acting, delivery, storytelling, dialogue. Yeah. Also, um, also no Justin Long. That's good. <laughs> I, settle I'm down on Justin Long. If they do a sequel that Justin Long is going to be the fucking lead. So just get ready for that. <laughs> Mike and I are going to do a separate podcast on waiting alone. Um, but American, uh, American just, Psych- just every Justin Long movie. We're American, Psych- American Psycho Five. A new podcast. Col- Col- just Col- Justin Col- Long. Yeah. American Psycho Five. Colon Justin Long division. Go ahead. Just along the long form discussion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's just a new podcast on only Justin Long movies. <laughs> Wait, I feel like if you did that and it went viral, you could get Justin Long to be on that, which would be pretty funny. Oh, and then yeah. that would be my long game because I would do that just so that he could join the podcast and I could just say, you fucking suck. <laughs> Hang up. Okay. All right. So you're a four and a half, Matt. Yeah. I'll, I'll just say that this, this movie holds the test of time. Um, it's been 22 years since this was, this film came out. It is still a great film. Um, even if you don't know the actors or, or or their significance, um, it's, it's really well done. You could watch this movie blindfolded and love it. You could watch this movie muted and love it. 
that's an odd scale to rate a movie. That's he, I, I don't disagree with Dan, but at the same time, the soundtrack it. is pretty key, my friend. Think about like that this this uh it true. Yes. from like when that opening scene with where he's going through his uh routine, his very like physical uh, routine, and then he's walking into the office to like I'm uh walking on sunshine, like just walking on sunshine. So discordant. Or, or, or when, when it cuts and he's listening to Lady in Red with his eyes closed <laughs> in his exactly. in his office. Oh man, so, yeah. I can yeah, say it's a great film, but the, yeah. the music is pretty clutch. Yeah. Um Mike, what about you? What you what's your reading? Um you know, I'll probably say four out of five uh, off-white eggshell business cards. Um, personally, <laughs> I think it's a great film. Interesting. I think it honestly comes down a little bit more to personal taste. I'm not even sure what I would put as like a five for like reference or anything, but just it's a great film. I think it's just both a mix of this. It's not quite true crime, but it is a bit of a psychological like deep dive as well as a cultural critique i do like all those things i do like the dark humor but maybe it's just the i think it might be the things of like what was explicitly shown as well as what is kind of implied for the violence that mm. i mean just I, if i know that there's a lot of explicit violence in the movie i just honestly don't even watch it so even maybe that's what's turning me away but um i do think it's a really strong movie with performances great acting um and as I've been kind of thinking about everyone's point of view, I just still think I lean towards the, it didn't happen, but I don't think you have to be, there's just so much ambiguity because everything from yeah. some of the arguments you were all making made me think, okay, I could see the conspiracy where I never even thought about that too much. Um, to then I'm noticing other things like Matt pointing out that his fiance is saying like that he's the CEO when he clearly talked about being the son of the mm -hmm. one that owns the business to everyone's a VP. All these weird things are just like, yeah, this man is just not right in the head. So maybe he is insane. I think that's interesting, but yeah, I'm going to go with a four. It's a great film. Um, that still holds up. It especially helps though. If you know the eighties or grew up in the nineties and just kind of understand that era. Yeah. It, it's interesting. They don't treat him like a CEO which is what's suspect about it. And they, people call like call Patrick Bateman, a dork and a loser constantly in the movie. Oh, so that's right. Yes. So they, they, they disparage him, which is so funny because he doesn't, you're right. You made the point that he tells the story from his own perspective, but I never got the impression that he's a huge dork or a loser, like at yeah, all. And that's may, how he's then described. You're like, Oh, Maybe he is actually maybe he is actually Marcus Halberstram. I don't know. Like 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 these all these people, but like it's also that CEO line was just her was Reese Witherspoon saying it as like because she she doesn't say anything real, cutesy, right? Ever. It could be cutesy, right? Yeah. So who knows? I, and again, I, I think the ambiguity is there. Um, I think I'm about a four as well, Mike. Um, I think there's something about this movie that is. I don't like I now want to watch it again, which is like weird too. Which is weird for a movie like this. And and I, I think I'll probably will watch it more often um in my adult years. Cause I think this this is a movie that does oddly hold up in a way that is rare for this kind of movie. Um unlike Jeepers Creepers, which I think all three of us uh remembered as 
being a piece of cinematic they mentioned well, it a lot with citizen kane so yes exactly sure uh, no no, no. we remember it being like scarier at least and at least more serious than it was when i watched it for the podcast last time the the movie's ridiculous it's a ridiculous it's movie um you keep so, not finishing your sentence ridiculously good movie <laughs> sorry i'm glad i'm here for you yeah you're, yeah you're right you're right i remember you're the right. first time i introduced this movie to jordan i said okay like i was I was probably 19 years old and I was like, okay, like I like you want to watch American Psycho? She's like, yeah, I've never seen it. I was like, okay, it's like a little scary. So like, just be prepared. And afterwards she looked at me, she was like, that's like, that's not, that's a comedy. Like that's not scary at all. And I remember at the moment being like, yes, you're right. It's gross. It's a little disturbing, but it's It's not scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I, I, I just think like, Maybe we're all desensitized, desensitized and depraved, but I certainly wouldn't want like a thirteen-year-old to see this movie. You know, like like I don't think that's. I wouldn't watch it with the the kids at daycare. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah, Um, and it also doesn't. It also doesn't have Justin Long. I'm curious here. What? But aside from not having Justin Long, I'm curious. (laughs) What are the to the three of you? What is your favorite line? You have to pick one line from the movie. Oh man, so many of those. There's a lot of great lines. Um, you gotta, I, I, you gotta pick. I'll I'll give you two at okay. most, but you, best line I'll give you two. Okay, I'll just start since I see everyone else kind of racking their brain. Um, and you know, I'm not even sure if they're the best lines, but they're ones that stick out to me. I already <laughs> kind of threw it in our group text because it made me laugh so much. Of like, hey, give me a break. I'm a child of divorce. Like this performance that he puts on, <laughs> this Tom Cruise is very Tom Cruise veneer that he puts yeah. on. Um, and then also during the end where he's having his breakdown and he's breaking up with his fiance where he's like, ah, no, no, no. I, I wish you say that you're inhumane. He's like, no, I am in touch with humanity. Like just <laughs> these moments of like, this man has absolutely fucking lost it. Yeah. I love those lines. Matt, you got some. I, I look, the obvious choice for choices for me are the exclaimed lines, like rocking it or rolling or, or like, you know, like those, those <laughs> ones. I do think I think the lesser the lesser lines. Uh, you guys probably aren't going to quote anything that's not Patrick Bateman. So I'm going to give you two lines that were said by other characters that I think are remarkable. Oh, that's, oh even though that's a good one. The part when when Reese Witherspoon is walking around the Christmas party party. Merry Xmas, Merry Xmas, Patrick. Merry Xmas. It's just, it's like, <laughs> mistletoe alert. Like those lines are so funny. Um, and then the part where they're doing coke in the stall, and the guy's like, "Excuse me, I'm trying to do drugs." And then he's like, <laughs> and, and then he's like, "Leave it alone. We'll, we'll get we'll get high. It'll be fine." That's if the guy in the next stall thinks it's so, like he's just <laughs> losing his mind. That was those a great parts, scene, and also funny. just wrapping my mind about them being in a gay club and they're having this discussion where Justin Throw is already like drunk or high out of his mind, being like, "Yeah, AIDS. You can get it doing anything, and that means you can get anything <laughs> from anything." thing it's like oh my god <laughs> and and then he's like what are you talking about you can't get you can't get dyslexia you can't catch dyslexia he's like and then he's like how do they know do no. you know do they know how do they know like <laughs> that, yeah that whole scene is actually remarkably funny so um i'm gonna go with some of those damn what about you you got some on deck so i had so when uh when william defoe is asking uh asking him where he was where he was the night of Paul Allen's murder and he can't quite put his finger on it, but he says, Oh, you know, we had just seen 
oh, Africa, brave Africa. And he goes, it was a lash riot. That made Ashley laugh out loud. That was a good one. And then a, a quote that I think about probably my day-to-day life is when he's talking about how anxious he is about where the table is going oh, to be. Like it's the and, opening scene. And relief washes it's over me. An awesome wave of relief washed over me. And you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, you can totally see it. And I think about that quite quite often, really, when an awesome wave of relief washes over me. That's funny. Matt, you got some? Dude, I I don't know. There, there really are... Um, there really are a lot of good lines from from Patrick Bateman. Um, that I I always keep coming back to the final scene where he calls his lawyer, mm-hmm. um, and I just always think like the thing I always take away from this film is his line that I just had to kill a lot of people. Just had to kill a lot of people, <laughs> and I like like. I, I try like that uh, if, prior to this movie. It's not, not something I've ever heard said <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and it just, the way he says it in the delivery of Christian Bale in the Patrick Bateman character um, that it forever will be the most memorable thing from this film. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's hard to, to not put, I mean, rocking and a rolling is in that part um but now that you mentioned the tom cruise thing it's very much like the jerry Maguire call when he's like help me help you like when he's saying that it's very much like i had to kill a lot of people and so it's like it's there is something funny about it i think the delivery is what gets me on a lot of these lines like the part where paul Adam, paul allen's like is that is that raincoat yes it is <laughs> which is which is funny yeah. Can't imagine Tom Cruise enjoys the comparison, but let's face it, some of those early interviews, it, it just feels like he's dead behind the eyes. <laughs> and then, yeah, and, it's not too early. It's still modern. He, the yes. man's a little strange. Yes. Yeah. You kind of have to be out of your mind to be an actor of, of a certain caliber and to be in like the public eye like that. Some actors do it well, but like I you you mentioned Christian Bale being like like one of one of the best uh method actors we have. Um, but you look at people who do method acting like uh daniel jared, Day- leto. jared leto daniel day lewis they're they're both like crazy they're both like miserable to be around i think jim carrey for certain po- points carrey, of his career yeah. miserable to be around yeah wild documentary about jim carrey doing that okay. yeah i, I think yeah. in the um in the charlie kaufman documentary yep. oh that makes sense he probably stayed um, in character for kaufman who was probably yeah. insufferable to be around as yeah. an actual human person exactly so um anyway well Thanks, guys. I, I appreciate that nice little ending there, Dan. That was a good, uh, good question. Do you uh, would you like to run the next episode of the podcast? You've graduated, so um, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> we're gonna, I'm gonna download we're gonna some do... new software on my laptop, and we'll I'll take care of it. Don't worry. The next episode will be accepted, which is the seminal uh, Justin Long film of the long form Justin Long episode. No, the next episode we're just going to review South Harmon and Sir Technology. Nice, <laughs> <laughs> the good pull, good pull. Well done. Next episode we're just going to review every episode of New Girl that has Justin Long in it. <laughs> we're going to go <laughs> season by season. Um, all right. Well, thanks guys for joining. Um, it, it, this re- this uh, concludes another episode. If you haven't done so already. Be sure to follow us and like us on um, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you uh, whatever, wherever you 
listen to this stuff. Um, give us a rating. It helps us to uh, be recommended to new listeners. Um, you can find us on the internet. Um, our handle across all social media platforms is fear and there. You can check us out at fearandthere.com or send hate mail to fearandthere at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again for listening, guests. Thanks for joining. I'm going to go uh, return some videotapes, but uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.